So uh, now we're going to come to our reading this morning. Now, um, this is uh, reading from Hebrews chapter 8 and most of chapter 9. And this is about the new covenant replacing the old. And so uh, hopefully the words will appear on your screen. So let's read from the Lord's word. Now, the main point of what we are saying is this. We do have such a high priest who sat down at the right hand of the throne of majesty in heaven and who serves in the sanctuary, the true tabernacle set up by the Lord, not by a mere human being. Every high priest is appointed to offer both gifts and sacrifices. And so it was necessary for this one also to have something to offer. If he were on earth, he would not be a priest there are already priests who, are, who offer the gifts prescribed by the law. They serve at a sanctuary that is a copy and shadow of what is in heaven. This is why Moses was warned when he learned, when, when he, sorry, this is why Moses was warned when he was about to build the tabernacle. See to it that you make everything according to the pattern shown you on the mountain. But in fact, the ministry Jesus has received is as superior to theirs as the covenant of which he is mediator is superior to the old one, since the new covenant is established on better promises. For if there had been nothing wrong with the first covenant, no place would have been sought for another. But God found fault with the people and said, The days are coming, declares the Lord when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and the people of Judah. It will not be the, like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt, because they did not remain faithful to my covenant, and I turned away from them, declares the Lord. This is the covenant I will establish with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my laws in their minds and write them on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbours or say to one another, Know the Lord, because they will all know me, from the least of them to the greatest. For I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. By calling this covenant new, he has made the first one obsolete, and what is obsolete and outdated will soon disappear. Now, the first covenant had regulations for worship and also an earthly sanctuary. A tabernacle was set up. In its first room were the lampstand and the table with its consecrated bread. This was called the holy place. Behind the second curtain was a room called the most holy place, which had the golden altar of incense and the gold-covered Ark of the Covenant. This Ark contained the gold jar of manna, Aaron's staff that had budded, and the stone tablets of the Covenant. Above the Ark were the cherubim of the glory, overshadowing the atonement covenant. But we cannot discuss these things in detail now. When everything had been arranged like this, the priests entered regularly into the outer room to carry out their ministry. But only the high priest entered the inner room, and that only once a year, and never without blood, 
which he offered for himself and for the sins the people had committed in ignorance. The Holy Spirit was showing by, by this that the way into the most holy place had not yet been disclosed as long as the first tabernacle was still functioning. This is an illustration for the present time, indicating that the gifts and sacrifices being offered were not able to clear the conscience of the worshipper. They are only a matter of food and drink and various ceremonial washings, external regulations applying until the time of the new order. But when Christ came as the high priest of the good things that are now already here, he went through the greater and more perfect tabernacle that is not made with human hands, that is to say, is not a part of this creation. He did not enter by the means of blood of goats and calves, but he entered the most holy place once for all by his own blood, so, obtain, so obtaining eternal redemption. The blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer sprinkled on those who are ceremonially unclean, sanctify them so that they are outwardly unclean, so that they are outwardly clean. How much more then will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God, cleanse our consciences from acts that led to death, so that we may serve the living God. For this reason, Christ is the mediator of a new covenant, that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance, now that he has died as a ransom to set them free from the sins committed under the first covenant. And now we move to verse 24. For Christ did not enter a sanctuary made with human hands that was only a copy of the true one. He entered heaven itself, now to appear for us in God's presence. Nor did he enter heaven to offer himself again and again, the way the high priest enters the most holy place every year with blood that is not his own. Otherwise, Christ would have had to suffer many times since the creation of the world. But he has appeared once for all at the culmination of the ages to do away with sin by the sacrifice of himself. Just as people are destined to die once and after that to face judgment. So Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many. And he will appear a second time not to bear sin but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. And this is the words of the Lord. Nick. Thank you. <clears throat> Coming to the end of our series on the covenants, and we've worked our way through some um, really big chunks of scripture, and that's inevitable because essentially we've, we've done a survey, or we will have done by the end of today, um, of the whole of the Old Testament, and we'll, we'll have introduced... Um, some core things from, from New Testament theology. So we've gone a long way. Um, I'd be really interested to know what you've learned. Um, so as we go along, maybe you pop that up on the group chat. If there's any one thought that's kind of struck you that, you, that you, you're taking away from the, uh, from the whole series, I'll share with you a couple of mine um, at the end. You pop them up in the group chat as we go along. Um, but I want to thank uh, Kevin for the, for the long reading. Um, but it's a great summary of what's new uh, in the New Covenant. And it includes the key Old Testament text um, from Jeremiah 31, was quoted in the middle of that. 
Um, so it gives us all the important information um, about the new covenant. So I'll pray and then we'll get into it. <clears throat> Father God, we simply want to understand you. We want to understand you and how you relate to us, how you formed a covenant with us, what that means. Lord, we want to know how to live lives that are worthy of you, how to live lives that are blessed, but without getting drawn into feeling we have to earn our salvation. We want to be reassured that, it, that it's always by grace through faith. And we want to know the place you have for us and the future have for you, you have for us. And Lord, this is all bound up in your covenant. And we ask you to speak to our hearts, encourage us, Lord, make this a living word, um, not simply information today, though the information is important. Um, but a word from you speaking to our hearts, where we need to hear you, our great high priest, reassuring us. We ask it in his name. Amen. So I'm going to pop up. Uh, let's get the PowerPoint uh, going. So last time we, we left it, um, and I'm going to go without much introduction. Um, David wanted to build, King David wanted to build the Lord a house. He wanted to build him a temple, uh, a place for, for the tabernacle. Um, the Lord said that he himself would build David um, an everlasting house. And by that he meant a kingdom, uh, a dynasty, uh, a lineage. And one of those David's descendants would be the one who would be called God's son, and would build God's house. And that's fulfilled initially by, by Solomon. He is the one who's called God's son. Uh, he is the one who builds uh, the temple, the first temple uh, for the Lord. But he can't obviously of his own fulfill this promise that God makes to David, um, that he will have somebody to sit on his throne um, forever. So Solomon is just a foreshadowing of, uh, of a greater fulfillment uh, of this promise that, that the Lord makes to David in 2 Samuel 7 um, about giving him a house um, that will last forever. And as we discovered, Jesus um, is God's king, Jesus is God's son, and Jesus is um, God's temple. But the big question, I guess, is, is what happens next? Because there's a big chunk of the Old Testament. If you look in just the, um, if you want to uh, look in the contents page on your Bible, uh, there's a big chunk of uh, Old Testament still to go by the time we've reached David. Uh, uh, sort of um, in one and two kings. We're still not even halfway through the Old Testament. So what happens next? And what happens next is what we've been seeing all along. We've been seeing um, that the covenant breaks down. And what happens is something like this, if I can sum it up like this. Jeroboam, um, son of Nebat, uh, rebels against Rehoboam, son of Solomon. Um, ten of the Israelite kings uh, rebel against Rehoboam. And they form their own uh, northern kingdom um, and they take the name of Israel with them. Um, Rehoboam's own tribe, Judah, stays, stays loyal to him as, as king and, and so does Benjamin. And they form the southern kingdom of Judah. This is the point where those two names um, divide. Um, things look pretty bad uh, for the northern tribes right from the start. So by rejecting Rehoboam, um, they've rejected essentially the, the covenant with, with David. And of course, King Jeroboam, he doesn't want um, his people, Israel, the 10 tribes, going back to Jerusalem to worship uh, in the temple, which is, of course, the thing they ought to do. Um, and he sets up two uh, centers of worship in his northern kingdom. Um, and they go back to the same kind of calf worship that being the problem um, in, in Exodus. 
So eventually they're, they're conquered by uh, Assyria. Uh, and meanwhile, in, in the south, um, the record of the kings of Judah is, is pretty patchy too. Uh, there are some good kings that receive the Bible's praise, like Josiah and Asa and Hezekiah. But the majority of the kings lead the people uh, into idol worship. Manasseh is probably one of the most famous and longest reigning of the disobedient kings of Israel. And it said, this is said of him. In both courts of the temple of the Lord, he built altars to all the starry hosts. He sacrificed his own son in the fire. He practiced sorcery and divination. And he consulted mediums and spiritists. And he did much evil in the eyes of the Lord, provoking him, him to anger. So he's not the last um, king of Israel, but he's uh, king of Judah, but he's definitely one of the worst. And so eventually um, Judah is conquered uh, too, but by Babylon, a new, uh, a new world power has, has come into place. Uh, so Judah, um, they conquered in 722 um, BC and, and they're taken into exile. And really those 10 tribes are lost. Um, Judah is taken into exile in, in Babylon. There's a series of invasions over um, from 605, 597, 586 BC. They last a bit longer. Um, their kings are not quite so bad, but eventually um, they go the same way. And uh, all of God's people uh, have left the land. There's just a tiny remnant of people left in, left in Judah. And, and the Lord's response is, is final. He says, Manasseh, king of Judah, has committed these detestable sins. He's done more evil than the Amorites who preceded him. He's done, he's done worse things than the Canaanite uh, kingdoms they were supposed to displace. Therefore, this is what the Lord says. I will wipe out Jerusalem as one wipes out a dish, wiping it and turning it upside down. You know, if you want to get the contents out of something, you wipe it, you turn it upside down, you shake it. And the Lord said, that's what's going to happen. I'll forsake the remnant of my inheritance and give them into the hands of their enemies. And it should give us pause. I guess one of the questions we've asked along the way is when does um, covenant failure become covenant breakdown? When does covenant failure become covenant breakdown? They've entered into a covenant with God. We've entered into a covenant with God when we became Christians. The Israelites think that they're safe a lot of the time because they have the temple, because they have the covenant, and because they have the Sabbath, and, and because they have the sacrifices, because they have those things, because they possess them, they think they're fine. And yet what they don't realise they're doing half the time is that by their lives um, and by their attitude towards those things, they are defiling them. They're using them as talismans. And they think they're going to be okay while well, um, they live really lives that are essentially no reference to the Lord. And it should just put a pause in our step at this point. We would own the name of the Lord. We have a church building. Um, we have a covenant. Um, we have a, a Sabbath. We have church um, services. But it's so, so easy to have those things and just simply think that we're safe as Christians, we're right with God as Christians because we have those things. And yet our attitude to them has soured or they become a chore or we become distant or our weekday lives simply don't match up to our, uh, to our Sunday lives. And it should put a pause in our step 
as there is a line between covenant failure when we've made a misstep and we come back to the Lord and covenant breakdown when actually essentially our relationship with the Lord has, has come to an end. So what happens next in, in the history side of things? Well, under Cyrus, king of Persia, the people of Israel are allowed to return to the land and rebuild the temple. This is about 400 BC. But the glory and, and the kingdom have gone. Although Zerubbabel is a king, I, don't, we remember, I can't remember where we uh, mentioned him recently, but we did. Um, there isn't really a, a lineage of kings. Although there, are, there is still the family of David, there is not really a king in Israel because they're ruled from another country. So the glory uh, of God in the temple, the presence of God and, and the presence of the king are essentially gone. And the books of Ezra, Nehemiah and Esther record the, the events uh, and the books of Haggai, Zechariah and Malachi re record uh, uh, the prophecy. And everything in between, um, if you look in your uh, Bible contents table, so everything essentially from Isaiah um, through to, to Zephaniah, it's prophetic warnings against those kings of Judah and, and Israel um, that the covenant is, is breaking down. Then, the, then uh, uh, as we say, uh, a small bunch of the exiles return. They rebuild, rebuild the temple, but it's not like it was before. It's not a return to king in his place and the glory of the Lord in the temple. But then even after that rebuilding, about 400 years of waiting nothing happens and then uh, a, a baby boy is born in Bethlehem and now is not the time to record his perfect life but I guess you've been having a, a, a preview of that in the meals with Jesus um, how he interacts with people and next week we'll pick up on Sunday mornings we'll, we'll join in with the meals with Jesus and pick up uh, look at some of those stories as we come up to Easter and now it's not the time to talk about how, how he lives a perfect life and, uh, and lays it down uh, as a sacrificial death for sinners uh, on a Roman cross we'll come to that at Easter but this this boy who is born who is son of God who is the uh, king of the Jews who is the one who is going to sit on the, uh, David's throne in this, this is the covenant um, being established. This is the new covenant. This is our covenant um, being established. So all I want us to do this morning is to go briefly to, um, as I say, Hebrews 8 and 9, and, and look at what is new um, in, the, in the new covenant. What is new in the new covenant? And let's just pick, a, I, I'm just going to pick uh, three or four short things. Um, out of uh, Hebrews 8 and 9. What's new in the new covenant? Well, the main thing that's new is, is that it deals with realities, um, not, with, not with shadows. So Jesus entered um, the real um, most holy place. The tabernacle was just a copy um, of the Lord's uh, throne room in heaven. It's, it's hard to get our heads around that uh, when you're reading Exodus and you see all those details. Uh, Moses is giving this massive details um, at the end of Exodus. And then when we reach the uh, uh, nearer the end, it, it's all put into practice. And we're all given that in massive details. Why is that? Because Moses is building a copy 
uh, of God's throne room uh, in heaven. But Jesus didn't go into a, into a copy. Um, we're told he actually went into heaven itself. We're told that he went into um, a tabernacle that's not part of this creation. He went into a tabernacle that is heaven itself, now to appear um, for us in God's presence. Jesus went into the real holy place, not one made by human hands. And there he offered um, his own blood, not the bull of calves, not the blood of bulls and calves. He offers what is the only right and proper sacrifice for sin. Uh, for you and for me and for anyone who would want to be cleansed of sin. And that is a, a human sacrifice. And not just a human sacrifice, but a human sacrifice from someone um, who has never sinned. That is the only kind of sacrifice uh, in, in God's eyes that genuinely pays for sin. Hard to remember that when we read the Old Testament. But we're told here that the blood uh, of bulls and, and goats um, cannot um, make a, a person clean. And Jesus therefore made the one single um, effective offering for sin that there is in, in, in all of space and, and time. And actually the writer here says the fact that the, that the offerings were re repeated um, in the Old Testament was a sign was a sign that the way into the most holy place was not open, had not yet been um, opened uh, by the priests, by the sacrifices. Um, there, was, uh, there was only one way into the most holy place, and, and that is the sacrifice uh, of a perfect human life laid down. And only Christ, only Christ could and only Christ has uh, achieved that for you. So today, this morning, you can um, go into the most holy place. You can approach the throne of grace with confidence because the one effective sacrifice has been made for you. You can do that today. Do that today. Spend some time. If you've never been there before, do it today. Um, come to Christ and say, I, 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 I accept the offering that you've made for me. And I accept you as the king overall, the king over my life. And, and I want to. Uh, I want to come into the only place. But only by Christ is, is the conscience genuinely uh, cleaned or, or cleansed. Uh, Hebrews says the blood of bulls and goats um, Sacrifice, uh, sanctify those who are ceremonially unclean so they're outwardly clean how much more then is the blood of Christ uh, who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God I think that's what means he lived a spirit-filled perfect life um, cleanse our consciences from acts that lead to, lead to death how is your conscience this morning is it is it clear or, or is it muddy and dirty? And is it persistently um, refused to feel clean? Well, you know where to come. Come to Christ.
what's new in the new covenant that was the first one the longest one the second one is this it's written in the heart um not on stone so in the middle of of this chapter we, we have this amazing prophecy from jeremiah the days are coming declares the lord when i'll make a new covenant with the people of israel and with the people of it will not be like the covenant i made with their ancestors when i took them by the hand to lead them out of egypt because they didn't remain faithful to my covenant and i turned away from them declares the lord but this is the covenant i will establish with the people of israel after that time declares the Lord. I will put my laws in their minds and write them on their hearts. I will be their people and they will be my God. Are you frustrated uh, at not being able to be uh, obedient? Well, if you're a Christian in this new covenant time, the law is not come to you from the outside written on stone as if you've got a uh, a tablet slammed down on your desk from the Lord. And he says, get on with that. No, the Lord is making a new covenant. It works from the, works from the inside out. The old, the old covenant, they had the law on the tablets of stone and they couldn't keep it. And it broke. And so the Lord promises a new covenant. The old one, you see, it has an inherent problem with the human heart. So the covenant stipulations, they were clear, but the people couldn't keep them. They couldn't even outwardly keep them. And even when they did keep them outwardly, as we said a moment ago, their, their hearts were far from the Lord. So Jeremiah 12, the uh, Lord says to Israel, you're always, um, so that's Jeremiah, I think, speaking, I think you're always on their lips, but far from their hearts. You're always on their lips, but far from their hearts. Why betide you? Uh, and me, if, if that is the same. But God is always on our lips, but actually far from their hearts. Well, this new covenant goes to work um, on, on the heart. It's not written on tablets of stone. It's written um, on your heart. It works from the inside out. The law is now in here. It is now speaking to you um, from the inside, not, um, not, from, the, not from the outside. And Ezekiel, I think, spells out uh, what has changed. Another prophecy, the Lord says, I will give you a new heart, put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my, my laws. So again, we see that the, the heart is changed. The law is written on the heart. You're given a, a new heart. Um, you're given a new soft heart a heart that is soft to the things of the Lord. And you're given uh, the Holy Spirit um, dwelling within you. You have all you need now for living out this new covenant in obedience to Christ, to living out a Christ-like life, because you have the law written on your heart. Uh, your heart is softer and the Holy Spirit uh, inside you is telling you and applying those Lord's, uh, laws to your heart all the time. The Holy Spirit is like a kind of super conscience in you that our heart is, is tender and hears. And the Lord says, I love this through Ezekiel, put my spirit in you and um, make you want to keep my law. That's what, a, that's what a Christian is. That's one of the signs of a real Christian, isn't it? They want to keep God's law. They want to please God. They want to be godly. 
in the new covenant, there is a new people of God. I'm going to bung you up a diagram and just talk about this very quickly. This comes from Nick Howard's book, which I've recommended all the way along. Don't know whether you can see that. Um, the old Israel, the majority of the Israelites rejected the covenant. There was a little remnant of Israelites who knew the Lord all the way through, but the majority of them um, didn't know the Lord. In the new Israel, that's everybody who's in Christ. It includes that little remnants of Israel who know the Lord, who know the Lord through Christ. But the bunch of people have entered um, that arrow going up um, who were Gentiles, but now in Christ Jesus have been brought near. And the Israelite rejectors um, of the covenant are, are broken off, according to, to Romans 11, um, but still loved um, on account of the patriarchs. So that's the new Israel. And that's why. Um, Hebrews 11 says they'll all know me from, from the least to the greatest. That's a quote from Jeremiah. Um, in, so that's why this um, strange statement about they will not teach um, their neighbours. It's not that we don't need teachers, otherwise we'd be doing something wrong this morning. Um, but you won't need to tell, you shouldn't need to tell your, your neighbour in the kingdom to know the Lord because it should be a kingdom of, of people who know the Lord. Have a little bit more to say that later on. What else is new in the new covenant? Um, well, there are new signs. I won't dwell on this, let's just, uh, but let's just lay it out this morning. Baptism is the sign of entry. Um, washing, it's a sign of washing and rebirth. It's a sign of uh, you've, you've taken that step of obedience, uh, faith and trust in the gospel and you, you become a Christian. Baptism is always happens straight after somebody confesses Christ. Um, if you're a Christian and you're not being baptised, why not um, do something about it? I think would be the right thing to do. The Lord's Supper is a sign of continued participation um, in the covenant and also the sign that we keep. Uh, we have to come back to the cross uh, if we're going to stay in the, in the covenant. There has to be a moment of remembrance and confession. And the Lord's Supper proclaims the gospel. It says that we believe it to be true. It's a moment of thanksgiving for what Christ has done. Uh, it's a sign that we're continually participating in Christ. We're continually in Christ, but also we're constantly participating in the blood of Christ. It's always his blood um, that, that covers us. So um, what have you, you learned? Um, I'm going to pop these up and then take them down again. Just so you can get, you, those of you who are doing the... Um, doing the word search and get the word search. Um, let me see what, it, what, you, what, what you've learned. I'm just gonna, I'm gonna have a quick look. I won't go far as the conversation about the internet crossing. Uh, somebody said, I've learned that God never breaks his covenants, but we fail or reject them. That's important. Now's your moment then to pop up what you've been, what you've been learning. Um, let, let me tell you some of the things I, th I, th I think while you do that, let me, um, the link between each covenant and the patterns that they form, I think that's really important. A continual life of worship and praise. Yeah, thank you. Um, we need the help of the Holy Spirit. You've been given as New, uh, as new Testament, as New Covenant believers, we're given the Holy Spirit um, and, and we need his help day by day. So you should ask for it. You should go to the scriptures because going to the scriptures is not just where he tells you what to do. It is the means by which he strengthens you to do the things he's telling you to do. Do you get that? Going to the scriptures is an empowering thing. It's how you're empowered by the Holy Spirit. But most importantly, don't grieve him. 
Paul talks in Ephesians about getting rid of unwholesome talk and getting rid of bitterness. Um, he says, don't grieve the Holy Spirit of God. And when you sin, you grieve the Spirit of God and your sense of communion with God and your connection with God is, is weakened and it goes away. So if that connection in you is weak, then you have to reflect on that, I think, and come back to that. We should um, commit ourselves to, to, to Jesus' family. We've been made a, a, a new people. Um, covenant is always about God's people, isn't it? In God's place, under God's rule for blessing. We, we're God's people. We are, the, we are the church. Our place is in Christ, and we're looking forward to a new creation. One of the things I think we should learn, though, is to respect and to reach out um, to, to Jewish people. We are, we the church are, are grafted into a Jewish rootstock, um, as it were. Um, and, and the unbelieving uh, Jews are like branches that have been broken off the vine. When Jesus says we are the vine, later on Paul says, well, it was a Jewish vine and we've been grafted in. Um, and if we choose um, not to uh, follow in that, then how easy will it be for God to graft his people back in? So I think we should... I think we should understand that nobody is saved outside of Christ, Jewish or, or Gentile. But I think we should understand that, that Jewish unbelief breaks God's heart in a special way. Because he loves them as, as, as the people who were the people who received and, and, and then passed on his, his revelation. I think you should get baptised if you haven't been briefly. I think you should make Sabbath and, and communion a priority. One of the things I've been reflecting on, and we'll have to come back to this, is what, what does Sabbath mean? You can see that Sabbath comes up, doesn't it, in the uh, uh, right from creation. And I think we should understand one of the things that uh, I forgot to say is that when, when um, the writer of Hebrews says the old covenant is done as away with, he doesn't mean all the previous covenants. He means the covenant with Moses means the covenant with Moses. And I think that really helps our understanding of what's, what carries on, which bits of the old covenants carry through and which bits of them are, are gone. And it's the old covenant, it's the covenant with Moses that he says is, is obsolete. But that doesn't make Sabbath obsolete. That was there um, right from the, from the beginning of creation. You need to take a day off from work. Because what it says is... Lord, I understand that all the good things I have come from your hand and they don't come from my work independent of you. You need to say that to the Lord. So you need to take it a, a day off um, in the week. And you need to give uh, a sensible chunk of time um, to the Lord and, and to meeting the Lord's people, because it also says um, to the Lord, um, it also says to the Lord, I, I, I recognise that I can't earn my own salvation. I can't work for my own salvation. So I come uh, and part of that Sabbath day is to say, I come and rest in you, Lord, um, and, and worship you. I can't earn my salvation. I think one of the big things that I've learned is that, um, is that covenant doesn't remove law. Although the, the covenant with Moses is, is obsolete in one sense, what we saw is that all the way along, we, we enter the covenant by grace through faith. Um, 
but there are always rules for staying in the Lord's blessing. And it's helped me to understand that in this new covenant, I've become a Christian by grace through faith. I trusted Christ. Uh, I received God's Holy Spirit. I, I made him king. But there are still responsibilities. There is still a way to live. In that sense, there is still a law. It is to love the Lord, my God, with all my heart, with all my soul, and to love my neighbour as myself. There is still a responsibility, still a law. And, it's, and looking at the covenant helped me understand that. What I plan to do next week is, um, in the afternoon, is talk about how do we live with predestinations. Is, is predestination and election really true? I think one of the things, if you struggle with the fact that God sovereignly chooses who are his, I think one of the things the covenant shows us is that all the way along it is God who sovereignly chooses uh, who those people are. It's in his covenant, however much we struggle with that. I think the, the covenant that we've looked at adds weight um, to that picture. And finally, um, adopt an exile mentality. Um, adopt an exile mentality. Um, the Old Testament people, they were in exile because they disobeyed the God, but we're ex exiles and foreigners um, because we're actually people of heaven, people who belong to um, a, a new community. We're people headed to a new place. Life is always going to hurt, even a little bit, even at its best, because we long for something that is even better than this. So if it doesn't hurt a little bit, something's wrong. Um, but even when uh, life's at its best, there'll be a, a, a hunger in our hearts because we're, we're exiles from our own country, um, our own country, our place. God's people are those who are in Christ. God's place uh, is, is Christ. But God's place is a new creation, a new world where everything works. Uh, and God's rule for blessing now. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind. Love your neighbours, yourself. And we look forward to that day when God's place is um, all things new and our bodies don't fight against our covenant obedience. Let's pray. Father God, I'm so grateful for this time we've had looking at your covenant, understanding you better, how you relate to us. You always relate to us through covenant. We are your covenant people. This morning we stand here because you sovereignly chose us to be in your kingdom. Thought that sometimes troubles us, but it should reassure us. You chose us, as Jesus says. We do not choose you. But you chose us to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. So we ask this morning that you renew the work of your Holy Spirit in us. Please, Lord, write your law afresh on our, our hearts that we want to keep it. Move us to keep it. That's what you said you would do. We claim that promise that you would move us um, to keep your laws. We want to bear fruit, fruit that will last into eternity. And we're looking forward to that day, Lord, when you will come again and make everything new. Please, Lord, come and come quickly. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.